0: Hey folks, welcome to your basket is empty. We are equal parts consulting and content. On the consulting side, we work with digital agencies to help them grow and scale by offering fractional director services. On the content front, our mission is to inform, inspire, and entertain the modern commerce community. We do this with a newsletter that includes interviews with original e-com thinkers, the week's most interesting direct consumer news, a jobs board, an event listing page, and a playlist. We also host events, and the podcast that you're listening to right now, I'd highly recommend you go and check us out at yourbasketisempty.com. On this episode, I'm chatting with Toby Wilkinson and Nick Bell, co founders of Ask Us for a and we are discussing how to connect brands with the top 1% of global creative agencies. We touch on the importance of agency people, the power of curation when it comes to agency selection, why awareness is key for growth, the shift from full service to niche and back to full service, why Omnichannel is replacing direct consumer how investing has complemented their business, and why human IP is underrated. This episode is brought to you by our friends at OmniSend, your MythBusters for Black Friday email marketing. How many times have you heard October is already too late for Black Friday or SMS marketing and Black Friday don't mix? What if I told you these are all myths? The truth is if you're using OmniSend, you're already one step ahead of the Black Friday game. OmniSend's platform empowers 100,000 e-commerce brands to cut through the noise with laser focused email and SMS campaigns that convert like crazy. Think you're late to the Black Friday party, OmniSend's pre-made Black Friday templates and pre-built automation workflows will help you make last minute campaign changes a breeze. It's never too late to catch the wave with OmniSend. Let's talk ROI. Last year OmniSend users shattered the myth of low email ROI by clocking in an average of $72 for every dollar spend. That's double the industry average of $36. And those aren't just numbers. They're your ticket to a stress-free Black Friday slash Cyber Monday weekend. But what if you hit a snag? OmniSend's award-winning support team has got you covered, answering your questions in under five minutes. Yep, even on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they're on it. So this Black Friday, don't get trapped by myths. Experience the power of email and SMS marketing that actually delivers with OmniSend. Discover more at getomnisend.com is empty. Use promo code yourbasketisempty and get 30% off your first three months with OmniSend. Enjoy the episode. Nick, Toby, welcome to the pod. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you. How are you, and where are you?
1: Uh, I'm very good, thanks. I'm in um, our office on uh, East Castle Street in Soho. Uh, Empty office, other than Toby's downstairs.
0: Nice, separate rooms. I like it, Toby. And we know where you are. How are you?
2: Uh, Very well. Not just separate rooms, but separate floors. I'm underground. Nick is overground, so his feet are just above my head. (laughs) Nice. So we we like to have some sort of topic
0: with these discussions and. Uh, We're broadly going to be talking about you guys and how to connect brands with the top 1% of UK creative agencies. I want to start with you, Toby, and you said something on LinkedIn recently that agencies are all about people and getting to know the people is incredibly time-consuming, and that's where you guys come in. So with that in mind, tell us what Ask Us For Ideas is and what problems are you trying to solve?
2: Sure. So Alfie is a service business that helps companies find the perfect agency partner and when i say companies i really refer to any company and actually we work very globally with companies all around the world of uh, different sizes scales b2b to b2c and we engage with them at the point that they are thinking about finding an agency partner to solve a challenge or take advantage of an opportunity when when i say agency to give that some definition to we have curated a network and we continue to cur- curate a network which we call the Alfie network of Agencies, again, around the world who are specialists in all types of different specialisms from kind of brand and strategy through to digital and product, through to marketing, advertising, and all the different forms. And those agencies have been curated for their quality. Um, it was, when we started out, it was always about quality over quantity. We wanted to find the best agencies around the world. But within within the best, there's some real differentiation. So it's not just about the specialisms. It's the size of the teams. It's where they're based. It's what they're interested in. It's the types of clients they work well with. Some are very creative. Some are better at handling clients. Some sit in between. But our value in curation is having very close relationships with each of the teams. So what we want to do is know each team as a group of people. We want to know what drives them, what excites them, what they want to be doing, want to be as up-to-date as we possibly can with everything that's going on in that agency, which then allows us to really help any company, as I said, at the point that they are going out to find their next agency partner or multiple agency partners, to understand how the landscape looks as it relates to them and who they are and their business and what they're trying to achieve, the audience they're going after, to help them quickly understand the landscape as it relates to them, to identify a list of teams that are hyper-appropriate, both in terms of you know them as people and what this business is about, but also really understanding the parameters around the, the project. So. What is the client's budget? What timelines they're hoping to achieve? What's important to them? What have past agency experiences taught them about what has worked and what hasn't worked? You know, do they have problems with stakeholders? Are they founder-led? What is, what is the kind of the nuance behind them, and what will make a project a great project versus an okay project? And we use. All that information to then go out and, and shortlist a, a selection of teams that we deem to be hyper-appropriate um, and then guide the client as much or as little as, as they liked. ultimately, hopefully selecting one. And I think the point I made in, in that LinkedIn post, although you're reminding me why I don't write many LinkedIn posts, <laughs> is the reality is agencies are a group of people. Yes, they have a name and they have a list of clients, but ultimately it's the people that do the work and people move. And what we want to do is help companies understand uh, agencies as people. And when I said it's it's impossible for any company to do that, they don't have the time to go and meet every single agency in the world. They have to dive into something. And, and the reality is they look at websites and they make sweeping decisions. That means they end up talking to the wrong agencies. They talk to agencies that are way, way too expensive. Or you know, the, the process becomes a hugely time consuming one. So by being experts, knowing teams, we can help people sort of move very efficiently, very effectively. And enjoyably through the process of trying to find the best agency partner.
0: That's a great synopsis, and I can attest to the the, the challenges of brands and companies trying to find agencies. Nick, I, I want to pick up on some of the stuff uh, there, but specifically, how do you define like kind of that one percent? And I'm curious, like, because the agency ecosystem continues to grow and evolve like how do you keep abreast of all of that like is it is it super relationship based that you guys have got you know kind of on that marketplace between your clients and the agencies you know do you use things like awards general reputation you know a combination how do you find that kind of one percent
1: yeah i mean we can write off awards we don't we don't focus on that at all for all of the reasons why i think most people understand awards not necessarily to be the best place to create that sort of endless a lot of agencies many of the ones that we work we don't enter them at all so that's not really something that we've ever looked at um, and the reality is there's no sort of um, science to it it would be helpful if there was I think if there was a science to it actually we would be out of a business probably because yeah there's no sort of existing lists and very clean-cut way that you can evaluate agencies, which means really it does come down to relationships and people and spending as much time as possible with the agencies that we work with. And in the agency landscape, we have this very um, sort of top-down, a 1,000-foot view of the wider landscape, and then we spend time being very intimate with the different agencies that we do represent. And if there's a new agency that sort of arrived on the scene that we feel instinctively, is sort of delivering work at that sort of best in class standard, then we'll always engage with them. And we have a onboarding process that is headed up by Shah, one of our team members who sort of runs the process of evaluating agencies individually. And then we sort of look at them collectively, deciding who we really think has got that magic, basically. It's not, yeah, it's not something that we've been able to quantify, particularly. It's more of a turn of phrase that,
0: that sort of top 1%. Just to touch on what, what Toby said before, but from your perspective, Nick, what, well- at what point do you guys kind of like hand over? Like what's that kind of process when a brand comes to you and they want to engage with an agency, are you helping them shape the brief or is it really a a curated, you know, introduction? Like at what point do you kind of like hand off and how involved do you get in those kind of early phases of the discussion from the brand side?
1: It really varies from brand to brand. We work, as Toby was, was saying, we work with brands of all scales. So, um, sometimes it's a pre-launch startup who's just raised some capital and is ready to sort of start thinking about brand. Um, and therefore we'll be working with founder very much directly. Um, Sometimes it's also some of the biggest businesses in the world and we're dealing with sort of C-suite or CMOs and they come to us in very different levels of preparation. So a founder might be like, I've never engaged with an agency before. I don't really know how to brief them. I don't really know what to think about budget. I don't really know what to think about timeframes. And in those instances, we really hold their hand and make sure that their brief is as good as it can be. And we almost almost sort of help them uh, shape that through conversation. In the examples where it's a CMO, they often come with a brief that's pretty buttoned up, and they've briefed lots of agencies in the course of their career, and therefore they don't need quite so much handholding. So that moment of arrival um, is, yeah, really varies from from brand to brand. The moment where we hand them off to agencies is is always once we feel like we've got everything we need in terms of an understanding of the challenge at hand, and that we've shaped our shortlist and we feel like the shortlist is as good as it can be. At that point, that's where we'll introduce the client to the various agencies we deem to be most appropriate and allow them to sort of do their thing.
0: And then Toby, coming back to you, within the agency network, I'm curious, how do you manage like conflicts of interest, right? Because service providers, you know, B2B service providers, which agencies are, can usually be sort of like, organized into certain verticals right you have already kind of mentioned a few like digital marketing branding experience do you have a certain number of those types of agencies within one of those like categories or verticals and how do you kind of manage that how does that kind of work
2: it's a good question and it's you know part of the, the job that we do as a team is to really keep an eye on the agency map we map the agency network basically we kind of group agencies within various factors so that we kind of keep an eye on where the network is really catered for and and sometimes where we are concerned that the network maybe isn't catering for a certain type of client or a certain type of project or a certain budget or whatever it might be we are always curating and keeping an eye on the landscape yeah it's a good point we we want to make sure in terms of conflict of interest that you know we are doing the the best job we can on behalf of our agencies and giving them opportunity but you know we're never great as I say there's there's never a point where we're struggling with a conflict of interest because the, everyone's kind of given the opportunity to pitch on certain projects and it's not, it's not, again, it's not driven by us putting loads of agencies forward. We're always limiting the amount of agencies we put forward for an, any project.
0: Yeah. It's similar. Cause like, I mean, it's interesting for full transparency. You guys are <laughs> very much with my agency clients, one of the number one strategic partner potentials, because I see you guys as a very interesting strategic partner for agencies. And from my perspective within the agency landscape, you, you guys perform not a dissimilar function to a lot of the platforms. I'm coming from the web design world, right? So Shopify, Centra, whatever, they all have this agency partner network that they get to know very well and a brand comes to them and says, hey, this is what we're looking to achieve. And they will say, hey, here's three agencies that match the kind of criteria, you know, you guys kind of duke it out, right? So I, I see that there needs to be a point at which it is really on the agency, right? To do their thing, you know, and put themselves in the best light and ensure that they're doing a great pitch and, you know, they've got great case studies and great people and all that
2: sort of stuff. Totally. And we're not, we we don't ask agencies to pay to be part of the network or to pay to see briefs. And it's by having a non kind of fee based relationship with the agencies allows us to keep our independence and only put people forward that we think are really right for the project. So it's to no gain of anyone's for us to put agencies forward that unless we think they are really, really right for the project and haven't ultimately have a chance of, of winning it. So I think by not having any kind of fee-based relationship to be part of the network, it holds us to account from that perspective.
1: We obviously limit the amount of agencies we put forward for any given project. And the way we arrive at that shortlist is very much through sort of quite organic conversation as a team. So once we understand a, a challenge of a client, we'll talk collectively around who we think is the best possible shortlist for that particular client. And because we're basing that selection very much on the people who are behind the work and the people who work within those agencies and the sort of cultures of those agencies and the chemistry that we believe is going to exist between an agency and, and that particular client. It's not like we end up with a sort of big long list of 20, 30 agencies that we suddenly have to handpick a sort of shorter list from within. It's that, that smaller end short list of three, four, five agencies sort of presents itself pretty organically. And it's not like we suddenly feel, oh, there's five who we would have liked to have introduced in that particular instance, but we just don't manage to. Whilst if you looked at the agency network that we have, and it's quite extensive now, it's sort of a few hundred strong. If you just filtered them by like agencies that can deliver on brand and work within a certain sector, then you would end up with a very broad list of agencies. But because we sort of filter them based on the people that are behind those agencies and our belief on how excited they're going to get about a particular project and how experienced and knowledgeable the team is about that particular sector, the list becomes quite small. So there doesn't end up being much of a conflict with other agencies that we sort of have to leave out of the conversation, yeah, it, it, it sort of presents itself pretty organically.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because it, it, I find uh, having been on the agency side and having been part of many RFPs and agency pitches, I feel that what you're providing there is what brands typically say that they want but they never really do <laughs> and it is all about the people right the reality of most agencies and this is cross vertical but certainly like within a web development space I would say digital marketing as well right like the technology and the frameworks and stuff they use is all kind of the same right like there's no differentiator there it's ultimately experience process and portfolio right like that's what kind of like brands are looking for so I think you putting forth that experience and the people piece as part of the model is very interesting to be, I want to come back to you And just looking across the kind of like verticals that the agencies sit in, so digital marketing, growth, branding, et cetera, have you noticed any of those or any trends across those this year? My sense is there may have been less demand for anything to do with growth, given the kind of general market dynamics, but I'm, I I don't know, I could be totally wrong. What's your general sort of take on, you know, agency demand across verticals?
2: Sure. Yeah, I think we're always conscious to to talk in trends because we only see what we see and it's you know, I don't want to make too many sweeping statements and, and generalise on behalf of the whole industry. But look, I think to your point, I think the big change that we've we've seen is the kind of mentality moving from a kind of growth or cost mentality to a profitability one. Now, you would think that maybe the consequence of that was that there was being people were investing less into those agencies that they're investing less certainly but the demand is still there so I think the big change we've seen is there's still the amount of projects and people still want to be investing money in marketing and growth but they just don't have the same budgets to to do so so I think the big I mean the big shift we're seeing now is moving from D to C to omnichannel you know that's that's where Every existing D2C company is trying to move into retail. Every new company that's coming to market is trying to launch in retail simultaneously as they are D2C or, or move into retail much quicker than they were previously. So a lot of the projects that we're seeing a lot of demand on the agency side is, you know, we want to work with an agency that understands being on shelf understands packaging understands that environment so yeah i think omnichannel and retail is is the big shift in terms of types of projects we still see the same volume it's just the volume of the budgets is just kind of shifting i suppose
0: yeah that's interesting and i I take the point about you know we're in a slight microcosm and whether it's representative of the market but certainly from what i've seen from my client base is It echoes what you've talked about. The other thing that they've seen a lot of, which is kind of natural, is just longer sales cycles, right? So the budgets are sort of slightly coming down. People want more bang for buck and then sales cycles. Also, the other big thing I've noticed, I don't know if you guys have seen it, is CFOs are way more involved in the conversations prior to last year. It was kind of like, yeah, "Yeah, sure, sign it off, you know, whereas now they want to get into the actual pitch and, you know, kind of snooping around. People are just being much more cautious. Totally. Nick, I, I want to switch gears slightly. And I want to talk about you guys internally and your own growth strategy. Are you primary content led? Is there enough activity within the network that your own marketing efforts are, are more internal into the network? Like, how have you gone about growing?
1: Mm. I mean, at the moment, our focus is very much on, um, on content, for sure. We've been around for a long time and and have grown relatively organically up until now, but have got to the point where we want to sort of take the business to the next stage. And in order to do that, we feel like it's an awareness challenge. So there's actually very few CMOs out there who even know that our service exists, let alone whether they know about us as a business. I think our awareness is still relatively low. And our, our goal is about changing that. So it's about firstly shining a light on the fact that the service we offer is even a thing because quite often we'll speak to CMOs and founders and, and the first thing they'll say to us is, oh, I didn't even know that you know, you could use a tool or business like yours to find an agency. And very much, thank God we did because they're, they're, they're often at a bit of a dead end and very grateful for the fact that they can use someone like us to help them find the right team. But the reality is, yeah, there's just so, f- there's so, so little awareness around the, the sector. Our focus is on on sort of shining a light on it and then obviously shining a light on the value that we've bought to previous brands and previous clients and sort of telling their stories through content in order to sort of showcase the value that we bring. So our most recent hire actually is a content strategist called Emma who was at Creative Review before and she's now sort of heading up our content strategy. So producing interesting sort of opinion and insight around how to get the most out of agency relationships that you have and telling the stories of the brands that we've worked with in the past in order to, yeah, just sort of generate more awareness around us as a business.
0: Yeah, interesting. And then Toby, if we were to extend that and maybe go a bit introspective, like you've been doing this for more than 10 years, like how have you seen that kind of creative landscape you know the agency network and maybe on the sort of demand side from the brand like change over the last 10 years what's changed the most what's stayed the same
2: yeah i think so when we started the business 11 12 years ago the big shift in kind of agency world at the time was the birth of the independent agency there was suddenly this movement of talent within large agencies or networked agencies that were suddenly finding themselves working for small independent agencies and the founders have been people who gone very far in big agencies and wanted to get back because kind of like working on the front line and being involved in projects and being creative again so there was this big shift and I think talent followed and then the clients naturally followed and there was this period of why are we paying all this money to the big networked agencies when we can go work with this 10, 15, 20 person studio who is made up of senior talent we get much stronger creative ideas we get to work directly with the A team as they put it and it was a no-brainer that was just lucky in terms of our timing and it wasn't by plan or anything like that we just it happened as as Nick and I left university and started this business and from there I think what happened next was everyone went from we don't need a full service agency anymore to we want independent specialist agencies what I think it was interesting is that once that shift happened um, and then brands were starting to you know having to live on digital and have an an e-commerce site and have a brand and pack you know there was Suddenly, it was a lot of specialisms to be handling at any one point. And in a way, people started to sort of desire the full service agency again, (laughs) funnily enough. But what was interesting is you started seeing a new type of full service agency, which was much smaller than big networked agencies still, even though it was maybe bigger than the small independent agencies, and also new kind of agency models that were much more um, decentralized um, in terms of having a kind of core team a team that was the lead agency on behalf of a client who would then have specialist partners that they would pull in. So there was, from the client's perspective, still one point of contact. So they weren't managing lots of agencies, but they were benefiting from independent special agencies that were being pulled in and only paid for when they needed and were being selected to be part of the team because of their relevancy for that particular challenge, technology whatever it might be so now you know i think that's sort of been the major shift basically is you know clients looking to try and find kind of ongoing long-term agency relationships rather than working with specialists all the time so a shift and a bit of a full circle but it reformed in a a, a new more modern more kind of creatively and cost-effective manner i suppose
0: Yeah interesting and have you noticed and maybe a prediction I don't know what do you think about like in-house versus agency have you seen that kind of shift as well people sort of like bringing things in-house versus outsourcing stuff or is that always a sort of a moving target?
2: Yeah I think it's one of those it's one of those from my perspective and I'm always conscious of we when Nick and I get asked these questions we've never worked in a as a client well we have been a client as Alfie now but we've never worked within a bigger organization Uh, we've never worked in an agency so this is just kind of our perspective but I'm always conscious that when it's in-house versus you know agency there's it's it's as if there's a right or a wrong way to to go about things and actually sometimes in-housing is right for a certain company sometimes kind of doing a completely outsourced model where you only work with agencies is is right for a company at a certain stage in their development. And of course, there's a hybrid version in between where you have a certain element of in-house experience and um, support, and then that's propped up by agencies or supported by agencies. It's going to continue to be that way I imagine for a long time but I think we've seen it work both ways and we've seen it go wrong both ways (laughs) Um, I think it's just companies really have to work out what is how do they you know what is their what is their skill set as founders I suppose if if we're talking about founders what do they need in order to to get the most out of agencies does that require them to have some in-house support are they executing a lot therefore having some in-house support is important because they don't want to be executing all the time with agencies because then it gets expensive so I think each company has to look at it in in isolation and decide, do they want to be running big internal teams? They like having outsourced models. Is it a mixture of the two things, basically? So it's sort of a, a non-answer to your question, but I think that's sort of the best best way I, I could i could answer it well
0: it's, it's interesting i think you're right I, I, upon reflection i think especially coming from i suppose well you, you guys are in an interesting spot because you're sort of like in, in the middle there but coming from mine the agency perspective it is a slightly binary maybe a bit of an antagonistic question towards a brand because it's like why, why in god's name would you in-house anything because your business is yeah consumer brand it's putting a brand on something and, you know, marketing it ultimately, you know, why would you sort of bring in development talent? But yeah, I, th- I think I it's, it's interesting. I think it can be quite polarizing, but I agree that it depends on the stage of the business. It depends on the skill set that they want to get out of at whatever stage that they're at. And I think there's always an interesting argument for some sort of outsourced service of some Degree right, and then that can kind of flex over time. You, you mentioned something interesting, and, and, and Nick, I wanted to pick it up with you. Has there ever been a time where you just, what you thought maybe you'd move away from the kind of matchmaker concept and, and create an agency, or be the client, or be the agency? Had that ever crossed your mind?
1: Short answer is no. Definitely not on the agency side. I think actually, probably over 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 our life cycle, have maybe spoken a few times about what type of agency we would potentially launch if we were thinking about doing that and. Very quickly moved away from it as a, as an option. It's just not something that's really of interest to either Toby or I or, nor our team. I think what we really love about our business is the is the varying types of clients we get to work with and brands we get to support and the and the pace at which we move through them. We've just celebrated our a thousandth. Agency client sort of connection, and there's very few agencies in the world who can suggest they've worked with over a thousand different brands. I think we've really enjoyed that variety, and so yeah, the agency side of things doesn't interest us quite so much. On the brand side, no, again, I mean, we've stayed very close to a few brands through the sort of venture side of our business and actually co founded a, a, a sort of CPG, sort of yeah, drinks business with a couple of friends, so we've got to you know, play founder, as it were, for for those businesses, but long term, this is very much the the focus, I guess.
0: That's a really interesting point, it's something I wanted to pick up. So tell me more about the ventures arm of the business, like what's the investment thesis, what have been some wins, maybe losses, depending on how deep you want to go. I can tell you about my angel investment losses, because <laughs> I noticed some of the interesting brands that you've kind of been involved with, like how, I mean, obviously you've got incredibly good network and you must get under the bonnet a lot, like... Do, do you is it a, like an active thing is it a, a passive thing so when a, you know like an opportunity comes to you guys how does that kind of generally work
1: yeah I mean it's actually something that we've sort of put on pause for the, for the short term uh, and to suggest we have an investment thesis in the way that a more traditional fund would have would be a little grandiose I think we, 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 we our first investment we ever made was a few years ago and it was because we were just completely bowled over by a particular founder they were launching something in a space that we knew to be booming just because we saw loads of clients coming to us trying to sort of tackle that same problem. And we very much felt that this particular individual just had a, had a sort of set of rationale and, and, and a, a way about her that was just, you know, that much more interesting than the other businesses we were talking to who were sort of trying to tackle that same problem. It's sort of like that, that top 1% thing again, I suppose. And we just felt that she sort of represented that in the client world. And both Toby and I were talking about her and what she was doing and and how we thought that she had the best chance of solving that problem. And then because we supported her so carefully, helping her find the right creative teams along the way, she was raising some capital and suggested that we could get involved in that round. We jumped to the chance and things sort of snowballed from there. We just kept occasionally getting off calls and one of Toby or I would ring the other and say, I just spoke to a founder who, who just has that that sort of thing, you know, just sort of gets it and excites us in a way that maybe some of the other founders we were speaking to didn't didn't necessarily. And um, in in those instances, we would always sort of talk to them about what their sort of fundraise strategy was and explain that if there was an opportunity for us to invest, we'd really like to, or they'd sort of come to us with that question a bit more proactively. And yeah, we just sort of let it grow very organically. We've got about 30 three, I think, different businesses we've we've invested in now. So it's a sort of reasonably sizable portfolio. We've paused it for the time being. They're not unified by any one trait, I don't think, in terms of this, this incredibly broad sector, um, sectors that we've invested in. It's just that we're backing founders, people who are really, really early stage, who we believe in a sort of vision and mission and who really excite us.
2: I think the opportunity to invest came in a really, inter- at a really interesting time for us and our development as a business. We from a kind of tactical strategic perspective, we were trying to build a relationship within the founder communities with early stage venture funds to be a strategic kind of partner to those companies as they're supporting their portfolio companies and those companies are asking them about, you know, agencies across various disciplines. You know, we want to be the place that all VCs send all their portfolio companies. So investing in some companies gave us a seat at a table we hadn't previously had and gave us a, a another string to our bow to be able to talk about ourselves as investors as well as creative matchmakers or, or whatever you want to describe us as and th- through investing we were it became a sort of marketing strategy of course we invest in all these businesses because we believed in them and we thought we could turn a profit or they one day they exit. And you know we've still got high hopes for a few of them despite the losses that, that have come along but at the end of the day it's not our core business it's not are, you know, it's not we don't have LPs, we don't have external investors, it's not we're not going to live or die by the reputation of these investments. So actually, the, the intention was if alongside believing these companies, we feel that they are going to be a great source of new relationships, referrals to other companies, then by investing 10, 15, $20,000 or whatever it was, we we're investing in this company, we've already made the money back on those investments. So it became a really valuable tool for us to move from the stage of business we we were at three, four years ago to to the business we are at now. And yeah, I think it's driven new relationships and really valuable ones for us, whether those investments turn out to be successful or not. But it's certainly a a passion thing as well. You know, we love early stage businesses. What We talk about the 1%, but we're we're always cautious that we don't want people to, to be kind of put off by that or kind of feel that it's unapproachable We're not talking about the biggest, the most expensive. We're just trying to talk about the best. And even if you've got a smaller budget, we know the people who are the top 1% for that small budget. We want to be involved with early stage businesses. We want to know how they operate. We want to be kind of knowledgeable about the companies that we work with and be able to bring value beyond just the creative connections. And through those relationships, I feel we have a really interesting network beyond agencies as well as the agencies that can be of strategic value to any company. And the content arm that Nick discussed earlier is is also a part of that. We want to build a really interesting content hub that can be valuable to all all the companies that we work with and companies that we haven't yet worked with to help tell interesting stories and talk about new ways to achieve certain things to impact the world better, whatever it might be. So, yeah, there's there's an intention with the stuff that we do outside of the core business to to kind of add value and, and bring more value to the wider, I suppose, business world.
0: I think that is an investment thesis. That would be my wager. There we go. <laughs> I think you guys have uh, talked it down. I think that is a great investment thesis. You back the founders. It's like vertically agnostic, and you know you're in for kind of the long run. It's not like a huge, you know, like 10x, you know, on one out of 10 investment type kind of concept. I think that's kind of cool. I also think that the marketing thing is interesting, right? Because I think from your perspective, to me it adds a huge amount of credibility, right? Like you've got skin in the game in that, like on one side of the world that you're operating in. And I think that's, yeah, really interesting spot to be in.
2: Just just to, to finish finish it off, a number of the investments we made early stage were actually as a consequence of kind of brokering equity relationships between the brands and the agencies. So, you know, helping early stage companies level up their agency opportunity by looking at equity as a way to kind of, Uh, incentivize their agency partners now that's not right for every company and it's it's becoming harder to do now because where the the market's at but it was again it, it was a kind of an opportune moment and i think the the kind of lack of investment thesis also stems from the fact that i think a lot of our close friends or associates associates laugh at the fact that we've probably invested in i don't know five or six beverage businesses and and we'd never tried any of them before putting, putting money into them. So um, <laughs> Nice. There we go.
0: I'm going to uh, round out with two questions, one for each of you. Nick, I'm going to start with you and then Toby will come back to you in a second. You, you mentioned it before, kind of like looking forward, Nick. So where are you guys in three years' time?
2: What does it look like? I'm looking forward to this answer.
1: Yeah, I bet you are. Where are we in three years' time? I mean, we've been doing this a long time. We're still feeling like we've only sort of scratch the surface in terms of the, the sort of scale this business could reach. I think obviously we'd love to see those venture businesses doing well too. Just just the, the founders that we've backed have been very inspirational to us as well. So it's just, yeah, very much like to see that grow and the, and the team grow to a certain scale. We're 13 now, are we, t- 13, 14? We don't really want to grow the business much beyond sort of 20-ish people, I think. So we'd want to scale the business in terms of the client side that we're reaching rather than the internal Team and then an exit at some point. So, I think we're beginning to think about what an exit might potentially look like, speaking to the right sort of people in that world and, and, and getting an understanding of what the business needs to look like in order for us to get to that point and what it could look like afterwards.
0: Nice. Toby, funny question to you. What are your thoughts on LLM AI within your world? Is it something that you guys are exploring or is it something you're trying to avoid?
2: No, certainly not trying to avoid it you know the technology is remarkable it's going to have an impact without shadow of a doubt from my perspective what that impact looks like i'm not quite sure and i don't think it'll be sure until the kind of dust settles a bit i think there's extremists on both ends of we don't need ai ai to values what we do as agencies to people saying why do we need agencies anymore we've got ai the reality is it'll be somewhere in the middle it'll be a, a kind of Harmony of the two things and the the technology being leveraged by agencies and obviously many of the agencies we work with many of them are already implementing AI within their kind of creative processes, certainly at that early mood boarding and creative thinking stage, and the technology is only going to get stronger at a rate probably beyond our imagination so um, yeah, it's 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 without a doubt gonna have an impact. Let's just all hope it has a positive impact rather than rather than a negative one. But mm. I won't predict.
1: Just in terms of our business, we're so human-led and so sort of bespoke in terms of how our process changes from client to client and how much value we put on people and the conversations and I hate the term, but it's sort of quite a white glove service. And for that reason I feel like machines and AI will struggle to sort of replicate that same feeling that we offer to clients. I'll probably regret saying that in a few years' time when <laughs> our business has gone under and is being being run purely by a robot. But uh, yeah, I feel like we're one of those industries that's a little bit more protected maybe than, you know, if we were a business that was that was handling tens of thousands of briefs and it was all really run by an algorithm and the value of those briefs was much lower and therefore there was sort of less need for people to be involved in order to give give brands and clients reassurance, then I would probably feel quite differently because I think AI is going to disrupt that side of the industry quite quickly. But for us, because we're such a sort of personal business, I feel like we've got some
2: protection in in that sort of human IP, I guess. Just want to give credit to the team sort of behind the scenes a bit. There's a lot of systems and processes and you know, CRMs and Airtables and, you know, supporting us and everything we do and making sure we're kind of, as I said, mapping the network, keeping up to date with teams, making sure that the newest information on each agency is like distributed amongst the team. So we're not like technology phobes. We're not, not using technology. We're very much leveraging it to kind of support the business that we do. But as Nick says, the icing on the cake ultimately is our involvement as people supporting the clients we work with giving them advice where we can give them advice being a soundboard where they need soundboard and trying to help them make sure they get the very most out of the process of finding an agency and so to speak to us alongside their own shortlist to, to leverage our experience and our viewpoint doesn't cost them anything
0: i'm a big fan i think that's a great way to end the podcast toby nick thanks for joining me
2: pleasure thank you for having us
0: pleasure cheers tim There you go, folks. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you've heard, please like, download, subscribe, and tell all your mates to do the same. Before we go, a quick word from our friends at OmniSend, the ROI-focused email and SMS marketing platform for online merchants. Go check them out at getomnisend.com slash your basket is empty. We'll see you next time.